Welcome to Days of Update for May 8th, 2022. I'm your host, Chris Logi. I'm Brandon Perkins. And I'm Dan Red Victoria. And yeah, we don't have a huge list of news this week, but we do have big news. Oh, yeah. One of the major publishers decided to sell off uh, three of their biggest studios mm-hmm. for fairly cheap uh, for yeah. what it is, but uh, still big. Uh, mm-hmm. A a big remake that was announced uh, at this point uh, about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. uh, has been delayed kind of indefinitely. Yeah. I will tell you more about that. Uh, let's see. Fortnite has managed to get on mobile phones again. I'll tell you how. Yeah. And uh, yeah, somebody else is suing Activision Blizzard. What a shot. <laughs> and we've got a uh, a new event for Summer Game Fest, the the main event. And we'll tell you all about all of that there in a little bit. Before we do that, we'll talk about what we've been playing. Uh, I have been playing some Trek to Yomi, though. Dan Rib did the review, so we'll talk more about that when he gets to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, other stuff I've been playing, there is the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, uh, the new edition of the Stanley Parable, the sort of narrative uh, game that is the original game was kind of all about the uh, the way that writing interacts with player choice and how there's, you know, sometimes no choice, but other ways to mess with writing and how the two kind of work together a bit. Uh, this one, uh, they have all of that in there. Uh, I definitely recommend, even if you haven't played it for a while, just kind of do a few runs of the uh, the base stuff that is in that game. Mm-hmm. It's especially required. Uh, then a door opens up that just says, new content. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you go in and the narrator is like, oh, new content, finally. Mm. <laughs> it's really excited about it. And then you get to it. And not to spoil too much, but it is a circle where you can jump. Because <laughs> one of the jokes in the original is achievement is trying to jump uh, and then finding out that you can't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's listed as a jump button, the, the mm. space bar on the, on the keypad on PC uh, that... Uh, it's kind of a fun joke. And here it's like, oh, you can jump. I'll mm. do that. Then I think you get to a sign that's like, oh, thank you for checking out the new content. And then the narrator's just like, what? This is all the content is? And gets really upset about it and offended by, you know, re-releases that add barely any content and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And goes on huge rants. Uh, then someone like, well, Stanley Parable is such a great game. I was like, oh, they're just ruining it here. And all this is going this whole whole charade of sorts mm-hmm. that goes to some really wild places about uh, game development. And uh, he, he like creates a shrine to the original Stanley Parable, mm-hmm. uh, all this kind of stuff. And that goes some wild places that uh, led to a point where now my, uh, anytime they show the, uh, the name of the game on the like main menus and that kind of stuff. It has a different name now. Mm-hmm. Not Ultra Deluxe or anything like that on there. Uh, says something else because they've just kept the bit going. Uh, with this, that is pretty funny. So uh, it's a it's a really fun uh, thing to kind of poke at 
the original game is a great sort of experience to go through and explore the the nature of you know the player adding to the narrative of a game versus just doing exactly what the game wants you to do and that kind of stuff and subverting uh the the things that the game wants you to do all that kind of stuff and this all this new content that has been added is uh, a pretty fun joke about you know remakes and remasters and the idea of like new content sequels and all this kind of stuff as well as the idea of you know reviews and user reviews and what they demand out of developers and how much their ideas are a lot of time just stupid bullshit mm-hmm. uh that kind of stuff so it it says a lot and it's does some really interesting stuff to even go beyond what uh the original game was doing that is just a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh, i did a stream of that on i think friday that was just fun uh jumping back and forth into the the different sort of bits that it does that is a a pretty good time it has a the original game had a achievement that was you know don't play the game for five years mm-hmm. uh, this new version has one for 10 years <laughs> uh, it also has they do a good joke about the original game having an achievement that you can't actually get at any point uh so there's 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 some good bits that are you know in jokes for the original game as well as you know Jokes for modern gaming and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think is really well worth checking out. It's twenty five bucks. Normally, if you have it, the original game on Steam. I think for a little bit longer, they have a discount to make it sixteen sixty six. Uh, so there's that. Uh, let's see. Been playing more Rogue Legacy two. Kind of making my way through that. Um, definitely hitting the similar kind of grinds that the original game had, where you, know, you beat the first boss and it's. Uh, not too hard to do that because not too hard to get to it because that's the first area you start in. And mm-hmm. uh, getting to the second area can be a pain because you, if you're not just locking in the same map that you're using, uh, you have to sort of fight through the first area just to get to the second area before, you know, figuring out like, oh, what do these enemies do? What's the, the tricks here? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff before you even get to the boss uh, and try to do that with just, you know, whatever health you have left at that point. You know, that kind of stuff. So that's where I'm kind of at. Still working my way through that. Uh, also been playing some more Rocket League. Uh, working on the uh, the little missions they have for the event that's going on, Knockout Bash. I managed mm. to finally win a match of Knockout, mm. uh, which is their sort of new competitive mode that isn't a, you know, a soccer match, as they mm-hmm. call it. Uh, uh, it is kind of a a fight, I guess. Maybe a if you merge Rocket League with Smash Brothers, where you're kind of trying to knock enemies off of the map, mm. at least off the stage, uh, so they can't recover. Which you can do by just doing like a a double jump roll that uh, knocks them. A good bit out, depending on if it's a light or a heavy hit or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a grab move that is very hard to get uh, acclimated to. So mm-hmm. much so I'd never figure it out, even what buttons to use for it until before I did my last match where I won and I didn't use it then. 
Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out how to actually do it. So uh, the one where I won it was just basically a point where the guy, uh, other person, grabbed me, tried to throw me. What they do is they try to grab you and then throw you immediately down Mm -hmm. into the the bits that, you know, kill you. Yeah. And uh, I managed to survive uh, and get to uh, the, the side of the stage to go up and then the other guy managed to kill themselves, not being able to recover as well. So uh, that's how I won. I had to do one of the main mechanics of the mode. So uh, that was the last match I'll play of that mode. It's fun enough. I think they do need to do some work to improve it, uh, but it's it's a nice little distraction mm-hmm. for that stuff. And that's one of the the last missions I needed to do was to actually win it. And I was getting there as far as lasting longer, but uh, not being able to grab was kind of being annoying. And getting to play against people that knew what they were doing. That was kind of the, the big obstacle, but managed to get past that. So now I'm largely done with that. So that's uh, that's it for that. So, uh, Brandon, what have you been doing? Uh, well, uh, like I have been doing the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to fill the hole that Elden Ring left. Um, but yeah, uh, still basically going through Dragon Inquisition, and holy shit, I forgot how buggy that game was. Like, I mean, to be fair, the game is from 2014, so it's been a good eight years since that game was released, so you expect some things to not necessarily work as good as some others, considering, you know, gaming has kind of evolved since then, but... The thing you also got to remember about the Dragon Age games is that they've always been buggy. In fact, one of the things a lot of people uh, remarked about when Dragon Age Origins came out years and years ago, you know, for the 360 and the PS3 was that people were surprised at how unpolished it kind of seemed in comparison to, you know, Mass Effect 1 and 2, which had come out around the same time period. And... It's still true, um, especially considering the fact that this was the first like open, semi-open world Dragon Age game where, you know, you, you, you like technically it wasn't like a complete open world like Witcher or GTA. You still had to like travel to like these areas. Then there would be like a loading screen and then you would go to this area. But this time around, the areas were huge and very, very large. And you also got a horse, too, meaning that, you know, you could, you know, go distances that you previously couldn't. But, yeah, it's very, very buggy. It's still fun, because the Dragon Age universe is still a very fun universe to to play in. But, yeah, there are definitely some glitches that I came across, including, uh, like, one of the issues you had that, and I actually remember even having this issue back then, was the problem that comes about when you're having a sort of uh, dialogue thing, because unlike the previous games, you know, like uh, the dialogue, when you did dialogue, and if you, like famously with Bioware games, uh, when you did dialogue, they would do that thing where it'd be like, oh, there's a shot of you, and then there's a shot of the person you're talking to, and then there's the shot of you and the person talking to in the same shot, and they go back and forth. Maybe they'd walk together or something. Yeah, with Inquisition, what they ended up doing um, is they had it so that, especially with, like, minor um, conversations, 
they would just sort of have the camera close in on you and the camera. But technically, you could still kind of walk around. And in order to, like, actually maybe even activate, like, your part of the conversation, you had to, like, press in the arch, the, uh, the, the right analog stick, you know, R3, in order to get the thing to start. And because of that, there were, there are times where I've come across here where, like, I've had to, like, reignite the conversation, like, two or three times to get it to work, because whatever reason that particular area just kind of glitches out while it's loading and it just won't let me do it you know but like i said it's an eight-year-old game you know issues are to be expected um and on top of that i've also just been playing quake a lot too and uh yeah um anybody who uh has never played quake before um yeah prepare yourself because those that old game is very difficult. <laughs> um, I mean, it's an it's software FPS, so you expect a whole lot of stuff happening, but you know, and a lot of fast paced action. But it's still very much like '90s PC action, meaning that it's not exactly necessarily as exact as you want it to be. And also, you end up running very fast, <laughs> surprisingly. And there's also platforming, which is something I forgot about the old Quake game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I've been playing. Uh, Dan Reb, what about you? Yeah, the experiences that I've been playing are uh, just palate cleansers. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because I just released a game for review about last year. So, for first off, I've been playing some unpacking. Um, I played it a few months ago, um, and I wasn't really liking it because of the UI. And I don't know if it's just because I stepped away from it or they actually made improvements. But um, so with unpacking before, when we talked about it, uh, I didn't like how, um, for example, when Chris was talking about it, he said that you can just go on and not worry about having to put wherever in some spots. So now uh, what I noticed was every item that you put away is actually highlighted red if it's in the quote-unquote wrong place. Um, I didn't notice that before if that was a thing, but that's definitely helped me tremendously. So I was able to get through two or three levels there. And I'm definitely finding it. I think they changed it so that you wouldn't get that before until you placed every item somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. guessing now it just does it as you put it somewhere. Um, I think, well, when I played, it started doing it after everything was unpacked. And then when you're just moving things around, trying to figure out where they go, that's where I just did. Okay. So there's that. Um, but yeah, that's totally the game more enjoyable for me. Uh, before, like, I, I kept like pressing buttons that would all of a sudden move me back to the start, which uh, I didn't really like. But now, yeah, they improved the UI and stuff to where it's not really a problem anymore. So uh, it's it's really cool. Like, I'm really enjoying the storytelling that they're doing here, just by you know putting things away. So you can see that the person that you know who owns the rooms has gotten involved in their the romantic relationship and whatnot. And, uh, it's just interesting seeing the story unfold, just to feel what you're doing. Um, but because of that new like highlight thing that I mentioned before, um, it makes it easier for me to go ahead and buy what was in the right place. So I'm really doing that more. Um, I also hopped back into WW2K22. Uh, really enjoy it. I finished case mode, which is where you pretty much go through a bunch of highlight matches in Ray Mysterio's career. And uh, then I started on my factions. Uh, yeah, the game's totally, uh, totally enjoyable. Uh, I went ahead and downloaded an AEW roster here, and it's really impressive seeing how much... Uh, 
attention people have put into the custom options there. Like, <clears throat> you're, I'm, I'm seeing a whole bunch of Ring of Honor in, in AEW rings, uh, a bunch of wrestling whatnot. And then their moves are actually uh, authentic too. Like, I didn't think that you'd be able to have almost every um, wrestler's like signature move in there, but so far it's it's worked at least with the guys that I've used that are not WWE. So that's mm. pretty fun. And then lastly, just to kick, go ahead and kick off the conversation. Uh, last week I was saying I was in a, I was playing a embargoed game. Now that the embargo lifted, the game that I was playing was Trek to Yomi, and um, uh, the reviews already put Smash Bad. I give a three and a half out of five. Um, main being, I don't think it breaks any ground as far as like being, you know, the next great indie game. But if you're somebody who is totally into samurai aesthetic, uh, this one pretty much hits uh, where it has to. Um, gameplay is fairly simplistic. Um, it's it, it's a two D beat up or, or hack and slash. And to really prevent it from being a hack and slash, you have the stamina meter. Can't just button mash. Uh, the A button or the X button will allow your uh, character to look or to face the direction because you'll have, you'll have uh, enemies coming from the other side and you have to be careful to that extent. And uh, yeah, from there, it's a, a simplistic action gameplay. So you have a weak attack, you have a strong attack, and then you have a whole bunch of um, project tiles that you can activate with the uh, pad and whatnot. Uh, the story uh, in this game is, uh, I wouldn't say it's great, but it's stronger than most of what you have. Uh, with the action game, and um, yeah, like it's really more about revenge, or or not really more about revenge, but it's more about where you want to take it. So it could be about revenge, it could be about love, uh, that sort of thing. But like, what really sets Trek to Yomi apart, I know anybody will talk about it in any review, is um, just the uh, overall visual style. Like it's entirely black and white, and um, yes, yeah, it, it has to copy the style of uh, old samurai martial arts movies in the fifties and sixties. And uh, yeah, they, they totally get that uh, point across. Um, the one thing that I'm really not that uh, not big a fan of is sometimes it goes into 3D out of nowhere. It's a breath of fresh air. It really allows you to really explore everything. Um, but at the same time, like they try to a little bit too hard with the production value in the sense of where their uh, voice acting is. Like they've actually casted quite a bit of unknown. Um, anime voice actors and like it's kind of useless because as good as the acting is like the characters are too small like visually to see a sort of emotion and while there are like fully three cut scenes where you see the thing like you can't really judge how well they're acting because you rarely see facial present in the game so i think they like they went a little over the top presentation and didn't focus much on the gameplay but that being said gameplay is still like as well done as it could be uh well, what I mentioned in my review is that when it's a samurai, a good samurai, having never having any wasted movement, like you know, you don't want to. A samurai don't like mindlessly kill, uh, you know, with all these hack and slash moves. They just uh, like kill you in the most graceful way possible, and you sort of mm-hmm. do that through this with a check to you. So yeah, uh, really impressive game. Gave it a three point five out of five. Um, as far as just replay value goes, I really wouldn't give much there, but um, I don't really. See myself platinuming it, but I had a really good time with the game. Uh, yeah, so I played about two hours to stream on that game, uh, mm. and it seemed like a perfectly fine kind of uh, action game for the most part. Uh, I feel like the I need some sort of options to remap buttons because I kind of wanted the like 
the dodge, you know, roll button to be on uh, A. This is on the Xbox version with Game Pass. Uh, the like spin around button to switch the direction you're facing mm-hmm. on B. I felt like that would have been better because I would just keep hitting the wrong button whenever I was doing stuff. And I feel like the dodge did not was not as responsive as I would want that button to be. Mm. Uh, that action it felt like it took a couple of hits to get it to do what I wanted because I think you have to maybe hit it twice to do like a dodge roll kind of thing and. It often just, you know, was very different from what I'm used to of late, you know, with a a Souls sort of dodge roll or a, you know, Horizon Forbidden West, uh, that kind of stuff uh, to that. Uh, so it felt like the, the combat was more of a, you know, a grind at times if you're, because uh, it seems like the, the early parts of the game are very much like, oh, you do a fight and then you can save. And you can do a fight, and you can do a save, and then it starts getting to the point where it's like, oh, there's like two or three fights mm. between, and uh, if you're messing up in an early one, your opportunities to get health back uh, are a bit limited. They introduce like a finisher move, and uh, there's sort of a counter that kind of sometimes gets you a pip of health back, uh, but sometimes... It doesn't happen. I'm not always 100% sure exactly what I'm doing wrong. That kind of stuff. Because they, they do build an intricate kind of combo system of sorts. They're constantly introducing new combo stuff to you. Uh, and so I found that like the the lower class enemies were really easy to do. Like the up XX or up square square. That's just kind of a two upward slashes uh, pretty quick that you can kind of get that in there. And then there's Guys just always do the like the the forward stab pretty easily, and I couldn't necessarily figure out that sort of parry timing uh, super easily. But then you get to tougher enemies that have armor on them that mm-hmm. are more reliant on either parrying everything they have or getting in heavy hits mm-hmm. with that, and that can be tough depending on uh, where you trigger them. Sometimes enemies just gang up on you, uh, and sometimes they go one at a time. It's like kind of managing whether they stay on the sidelines or jump in. It's not always that easy uh, to kind of get. But yeah, like Dan Herb said, the it's a bit jarring to swap between the 2D segments, action segments, and the 3D like exploration stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always clear when you're going to be doing that. Uh, swap, but when you're in 2D, you're obviously going to be like, okay, well, we're going to be fighting people soon and trying to manage that stuff. But yeah, in the 3D bits, it's not always easy to understand like where you can go. That kind of stuff. So three chapters, and usually had like one collectible I missed somewhere, and it's it just seemed like collectibles for collectibles' sake. Mm-hmm. It's just like random items that are in. That you'd find in like a Japanese village at this time period, kind of stuff. And you see like people crying because their their family had been killed or they've been rushed. And you're like, "Well, I'm going to take your teapot. Bye." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it happens a little too much. Like um, you, you play through the first chapter, and all you do is like walk by crying families. And I get it, you know, they just you're walking through all death. But uh, I don't know. It just felt overacted to a certain extent, and uh, I was glad to like be done with those moments. 
But um, yeah, yeah as far as the collectibles go, um, yeah, they they build some lore there, but for the most part, they're they're pretty useless, um, and there's really no incentive to go ahead and get them. Um, of course, there's yeah. going to be a trophy that's for getting them all, but it's not really a fun thing to do. Especially since mm-hmm. the only indication of them being there is your your, your typical uh, call to action shine on the map, with with the whole game being black and white. Yeah, and it can be hard to tell. Like, is that a collectible? Is that a health like thing that will add to your health or something that will add to your stamina bar? Or is it you know one of your throwing items or your uh, other weapons that you have? Do you have like a like a bow shuriken? It's like the big knives that they have on like Naruto mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing that you can throw. You got like a bow and arrow, and there's one more I haven't gotten yet. I assume it's. Uh, some sort of maybe explosive or something, I don't know. Uh, but I do kind of wish, like in the the action bits, you could use the D-pad for uh, just combat controls mm-hmm. uh, for that stuff, because I would have oftentimes where I'm holding the stick up, but holding it just enough forward that my guy goes and does the, the forward stab instead of the, like, the upper attacks kind of stuff that's like, this is just kind of sloppy enough being on a stick that, you know, it kind of makes it a little bit more frustrating than I would like it to be for this to be like a, a great game. Mm-hmm. It really makes it just kind of a, it's pretty good. I wouldn't be mad to, you know, have played this and beat it kind of thing uh, versus like stuff I would play where it'd be like, eh, whatever, this, this is okay for 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm and not really feel compelled to keep playing more of it. Yeah. If anything, the game is only about um, five or six hours. The main thing is that every level is pretty long. Um, there's also yeah. no indication of uh, whether you are toward the end of it, unless you're actively looking at your collectibles and seeing that, oh, I collected the last one, so that must mean the end of the level is near. But mm. it follows your pretty, your pretty much standard, uh, you know, uh, Mega Man-ish or... Um, uh, 2D action game where it's like, okay, we go through here, we have a mid-boss, kill that, go through a little bit more exploring, and then all of a sudden, end-boss. And, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of end-bosses are actually, like, pretty fun, uh, especially, like, when you figure out how to get them after, they, after they've killed you a few times. So the, the, yeah. the challenge is pretty fun there. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't know how, how um, I don't know if, if, if you're um, interested enough to go ahead and finish it, but, like, the, the last boss is actually definitely, like, one of the more uh, enjoyable ones uh, that I've played, uh, especially like you know being having my ass handed to me a few times and realizing what I should be doing because um, throughout most of the game, like I didn't even really use a lot of my abilities or combos. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you finally get to this last one, I was like, okay, I can be a whole lot more. I can fight with a whole lot more variety, and it definitely helped me out in the long run. So, yeah, yeah, that first boss, which is the one where you come to and they're like, oh, here's all my guys. They're tied up here. Then they're like, all right. Bowman just kill them all. And the guy just comes up, it's like, all right, let's fight. And I literally just did that forward slash whenever he would just stop dancing around. Mm-hmm. That's the guy with the big staff spear thing. And I was like, I kind of figured out to, a way to kind of cheese it. And it's like, I was fine with that. Because uh, trying to figure out the, the precise like parry opportunities and such was like going to be more annoying than anything. So I do appreciate their kind of ways to kind of cheese it. Mm. Uh, which is why I typically do that like upper slash move uh, combo for most enemies up front because it'll kill most of them right away mm. if you get it there. Uh, sometimes you get to points where it's like, all right, I'm just gonna let myself get killed because I'm 
I'm going to come out of this with like two or three pips of health and I'm not going to be worth trying to get through the next two fights uh, for that kind of stuff. But yeah, it also doesn't necessarily do a great job of explaining some things to pop up like the bow shuriken thing. And I'm like, mm. wait, what's this? Uh, how do I use that? And I was like looking through the like pause menu stuff that they have. And it's like, it doesn't really explain anywhere unless I just go look at the, 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 the controls. And that's where it explains that, but that's like, there's some UI stuff. It's not great the way they set mm. this up, but, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's a perfectly fine game. Uh, we'll get you, get to what you want, but it's, you know, it's not like a 2d version of ghost of Tsushima or anything like that, which is not really what I expected out of it, but there you go. That's uh trick to Yomi. Mm. A pretty solid game for what it is. Uh, but yeah, let's get to the show. Uh, let's see. We'll start here. Uh, since this is a new month, we have new lineups for PlayStation Now and Game Pass, and this will be the last month of PlayStation Now in its current form uh, before it's subsumed into PlayStation Plus. As uh, I forget what the the second tier is. You know, Central's yeah. the 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 cheapest tier. That's essentially PlayStation Plus. Uh, but yeah, for this month they have three games available. Mm-hmm. Uh, all playable at this point. Yeah. May 3rd. Uh, the first game is Naruto Shippuden. Yeah. That's Ninja Storm 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, the latest of those games. Last one. It's been a while since they've done any of those. So I'm assuming they're largely done with that. I think they did like a Baruto expansion for this. They added some Baruto stuff to that. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty solid for what that is. Uh, let's see. The other game, Soul Calibur 6. Mm-hmm. The newest of the Soul Calibur games, so yep, uh, that one's supposed to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. You can at the very least play through that story mode. Now uh, for that, so there you go. Uh, and the last one is Blasphemous, mm-hmm. an indie game that is kind of an action platformer with some some Souls stuff to it. It's basically a two D like more or less with some platforming. Yeah, and it's. It was weird starting this in the wake of the big news, yeah. of the world news of last week. Yeah. Because uh, this is heavily drenched in Catholic uh, story stuff. Well, not just Catholic, but Spanish Catholic, specifically. Um, everything right down to the music is heavily, heavily, heavily inspired by the morbid parts of Spanish Catholic culture and tradition. <coughs> yeah. Very much from the start, it's like, oh, I have this guilt that I need to deal with and just kind of yeah. kills herself with this statue. And there's the mask that you're wearing, that huge mask helmet that's basically supposed to be rever- reminiscent of like what uh, penitent, pre- penitent monks use during Good Friday. Yeah the huge tall point that a lot of people, when they first thought, it's just like, Oh, is this like a clan thing? No, it's, that's actually where kind of where the clan got the idea. <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, it's, uh, it is a very morbid and very gory game, but it is engaging as all hell. It's also frustrating as all hell because it is a souls like, and it will kick your ass. Yeah. Uh, luckily there's no like stamina element to it. Nope. It's largely just mash as best you can. Uh-huh. And yeah, I played like 
30 minutes or so and was like, got to the point where you could start doing upgrades. And I was like, all right, this is way too much, like, weighty shit all over this. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a bit of a um, commitment if you're going to play it. Cause... Yeah, I'm almost to the point where I'm going to, like, mute it. Because I don't want to mm. just hear any of this shit. Hear any of this atmosphere and <laughs> voice work and all that, because it's all very slow and deliberate for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's a that's a game that's worth checking out if you're in the right headspace for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not, there's you know a dozen other games doing this kind of thing, and one coming this week, uh, Salt and Sacrifice, mm-hmm. that will not drench you in Catholic guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that kind of stuff. And I'm not even Catholic, so I don't... But it's like, jeez, this is the worst thing to play after the Roe v. Wade thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is intense. It is a very intense game. If you grew up in the tradition, it, it beats you over the head with it. Yeah, and it, it puts all of that up front as mm-hmm. you start it. Uh, so You yeah. literally start the game climbing out of a pile of boxes. Oh, and it's showing all this imagery. It's like, oh, this, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's that's maybe enough. Uh, but yeah, let's get to Game Pass. Yeah. Uh, what they have available. Uh, they put up NBA 2K22 mm-hmm. here like late last month, I think, because they, in the Microsoft Rewards app, they put up some stuff like, oh, get NBA 2K22 and get an achievement. And people are like, what? is going on with here because there's mm-hmm. no sale or anything tied to the playoffs, but then that game showed them and people were like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's why they were doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can get some extra points if you're at least play for an achievement, uh, which there are some easy ways to do that uh, for that. Uh, so that's been available for a little bit, but yeah, available now. There's Loot River. Mm-hmm. That is a Souls-like uh, that has uh, let's see some action roguelike elements, dungeon crawling stuff, and kind of the the big thing is you are doing this like block, like block puzzles of sorts, uh, mm-hmm. block shifting puzzles, you know the block sliding puzzles kind mm-hmm. of thing. But you're doing that with the environment, so you're kind of finding ways to move the uh, the the bit of ground that you're on to get around across gaps and all this kind of stuff, and I believe you can also use it as a way to kind of limit uh, how many enemies you're fighting at a time. You just kind of move back and forth, I believe. Uh, I've not played this one yet, uh, but it's one of those ones I want to check out here pretty soon. Uh, That's on console PC uh, for checking out. Also available now, as we mentioned, Trek to Yomi. Mm -hmm. Check it out, console and PC. Uh, For that, uh, let's see, also available now, Citizen Sleeper. Mm. Uh, that's a game that I, let's see, Live the Life of an Escaped Worker. It's one of those anti-capitalism games, uh, Live the Life of an Escaped Worker, washed up on a lawless station at the edge of an interstellar society. Inspired by the flexibility and freedom of tabletop RPGs, explore the station, choose your friends, explore, escape your past, and change your future. Mm-hmm. That almost says nothing about how it works. And then you go around and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, available now, console and PC. Okay, starting on May 10th, Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair Anniversary Edition, console and mm-hmm. PC. Uh, the second of those games. 
the uh, sort of uh, there's a little bit of like adventure puzzly stuff in there, but mostly it's kind of visual novel type stuff mm-hmm. in a what if uh, Saw was Japanese? Mm-hmm. An anime as hell. Uh, so there you go. Uh, let's see, May 10th, Ayudin Chronicle Rising. Mm. Uh, the first of those games, so not the first one that was announced or funded. Mm. Uh, that's the 100 Heroes. That is happening sometime next year. Uh, but this one is a uh, a bit of a spin-off prequel kind of thing uh, with a bit of a Valkyrie profile kind of look to it, a little metroid kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, featuring a number of characters, I guess it'll be in the 100 Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can check that out, console and PC. Also on May 10th, This War of Mind, Final Cut, console and PC. So there, if you want to depress yourself, there you go. Mm-hmm. If not blasphemous, there's This War of Mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that kind of fun experience, that's uh, mm-hmm. console and PC. And also available May 12th is NHL 22 through EA Play. So if you have EA Play on uh, Xbox, PS4, or PC, you can play that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you also have Game Pass Ultimate, you can also play NHL 22. Just in time for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, what else do they mention here? They have like a weird perk. Uh, DLC for Garden Warfare 2, Plants for Zombies Garden Warfare 2, for some reason. Mm-hmm. So you can do that. Uh, yeah, new new little perk thing for Halo Infinite. Mm-hmm. You're still playing that multiplayer. Uh, let's see, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas is leaving May 10th already. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fine. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's largely it that we do have with this next story. Another game is coming to Game Pass that they don't mention on that list. Mm-hmm. Umaranki Generation Special Editions coming to Xbox yep. One on May 17th. Uh, currently on Switch and PC. That is a a very weird kind of uh, photography adventure game. Uh, first person photography game uh, that made big waves when it came out on PC a couple years ago. Uh, that is going to be $24.99 but it'll also be on Game Pass for console and PC so you can Check that out here in about another week or so for that. And it's uh, one of those games that very much became kind of a, a cult indie hit of sorts. So there you go. That's, uh, that's one worth checking out as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Soldiers. We talked a little bit back that that was a game that looked interesting. It was supposed to be coming out here uh, May 19th. And the devs have decided to push it, I think, about two weeks to June 2nd. Uh, Just saying they need some additional time to iron out some bugs and such before they launch it. So they're going to take that extra time and definitely wish them luck with that. Mm -hmm. Because that game looks pretty neat. Yeah, it does. Played of it. Uh, So yeah, there you go. Soldiers delayed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do have a date here for Thymesia. Uh, which is a very dark fantasy action RPG in a Souls vein. Yep. Uh, getting a date of August 9th for PS5, Xbox, uh, Series X and S, and PC, so the new consoles only. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a game where you're kind of beating bosses and collecting the plague 
from them to fashion into weapons. It's kind of a whole weird thing. You're playing as like a plague doctor character mm-hmm. of sorts. Uh, that is a very interesting style for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It seems like people are liking the combat to a mix of Souls and Ninja Gaiden. Mm-hmm. Which would be a pretty good mix. Uh, especially because the Ninja Gaiden people made a Souls game mm. called Neo, uh, which was quite good. So there you go. That's kind of it for the uh, uh, for the dates. Uh, but there is uh, an interesting development. So we know about the the Epic Games and Apple uh, law uh, lawsuit kind of mm-hmm. battle between them, and how yeah. Apple's kind of. Maybe we'll keep Fortnite off of iOS mm-hmm. uh, and Android for the for the time being from their storefronts, at least officially. Mm-hmm. Epic has managed to find a way to get back onto uh, mobile devices, mm-hmm. and it's through the Xbox Cloud Gaming Service mm. through this new partnership. So uh, instead of you know downloading it onto your your phone, mm-hmm. uh, you can stream it through that X Cloud service. Uh, so that seems like a pretty neat way to do it. I don't know mm-hmm. that I necessarily need it, but yeah. they don't have to. You don't necessarily have to worry about you know having the space for it. Uh, you have to have a pretty good connection for that stuff to work well. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you know, Xbox Live Gold or Game Pass subscription required for that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't. And they get around the thirty percent Apple tax. Yeah. And Google tax for all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can have their cake and eat it too, essentially. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's a, a, an interesting way to uh, get around that, that whole issue there. Mm. And Microsoft gets to benefit. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We do have a couple of delays here. This one is involving Hitman 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of their... Uh, release plans for this year involved a mode called Freelancer that was supposed to be here in uh, the spring. And mm-hmm. spring is rapidly closing. And so IO Interactive has announced that they have delayed it a bit to the second mm-hmm. half of uh, 2022, saying that it needs some more time uh, to work on it. And yeah, that's uh, good to see. That's that mode that essentially you kind of have a a base of operations with Agent 47. You're kind of buying weapons to build out your your arsenal mm-hmm. and sort of picking what to take with you out to these missions that you're getting, and it's not necessarily just a linear thing. Mm-hmm. Kind of adds more of a, a roguelite element to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, as far as how you're doing all this stuff, and that seems like a really ambitious new mode for this game that is uh, exciting to see. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping it turns out well and definitely want to take their time with that stuff. And they've also given out a teaser of one of the new maps they're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're working on an update for May 24th. That includes all the ray tracing stuff for PC, uh, some other stuff there as well. Mm. Uh, so that'll be fun to see what's all in that. Uh, but the the big delay of the week... Uh, was announced for Prince of Persia, mm. Sands of Time remake. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, essentially at this point, they have pulled it from being primarily made by their 
uh, Indian Studios uh, to being helmed by, I think it's uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Mm-hmm. They did the those first games of that trilogy, and that's not great for whatever the whatever they were looking at when they gave an actual date mm-hmm. uh, to be this far out. Shades of you know Halo Infinite, except if their whole future wasn't dependent on that one game, because mm-hmm. Ubisoft can do just fine without this game for the time being, whereas. Microsoft needed Halo Infinite as soon as they mm-hmm. could, and uh, they, you know, left modes out just to get it out in time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, kind of surprising to see it like this. It's not surprising it's had you know trouble mm-hmm. uh, for the amount of extra time it's taken. But yeah, hopefully this uh, leads to the product, you know, coming out in a good state uh, when all said, when all is said and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that is uh that is that there. Uh, let's get to probably the biggest news of the week. Mm-hmm. Square Enix has sold three other studios. Mm-hmm. Let's see, Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square mm-hmm. Enix Montreal. The three main internal teams they had for their Western developed games. Mm. I think all the rest of their stuff have been external teams uh, at this point. And they have sold them to Embracer Group, the Embracer mm-hmm. Group, that uh, also goes with those teams uh, about a catalog of about 50 games, maybe more than that. They don't mm. list all of them. So we won't see until maybe the Embracer Group reveals that at some point, but uh, that's a lot of IPs. They mm-hmm. do name check things like you know Tomb Raider and Deus Ex and even the legacy of Kane mm-hmm. and Thief. Which like Legacy of Kane is not a an IP that's I think Square Enix has acknowledged at any point that they've owned them. Uh maybe when they release those PS1 versions on the PS3, but maybe not even really all that much then. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of wild. The amount seems to be about three hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not a lot for studios of that caliber, but I'm, I'm guessing they come with a lot of. They say there's about 1,100 employees there mm-hmm. between those three studios, and I think that also includes the ability to keep working on uh, the Avengers game and Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. pending you know Disney approving of that stuff, and I think. Crystal Dynamics has just started on a new Tomb Raider game. Mm-hmm. So there's some already built-in projects they have to take on mm. as a result. Uh, so there's some of that, but they seem to be expecting it to complete by September 2020, this whole purchase. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a pretty good value for what you're getting for... Yeah. A sort of company like the Embracer Group that will, you know, once this is complete, they'll be making money off of all the uh, the back catalog games Square Enix has had on, you know, Steam and mm-hmm. PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, all those places uh, for that stuff. And Embracer Group is a company that, you know, very much likes their studios to be exploiting their back catalogs as much as they can. 
So I imagine any of those games that may not be on modern hardware, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a reasonably a reasonable cost for that stuff, that they will, you know, do remasters and such, uh, which you know could include even more recent stuff. I think that third Tomb Raider game, uh, I forget what it's called, mm-hmm. uh, but that one on on PC had a had ray tracing support. It was like one of the first big ray tracing games, and I was surprised they never did a Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah, that had a ray tracing support. I think it's even been updated for newer ray tracing implementations on PC. And I'm surprised they never did like a remaster to have you know a newer version that would take advantage of that stuff on the new consoles. Uh, so like they did with Sleeping Dogs on PS4 and Xbox One, mm-hmm. uh, with the PS3 and Xbox 360 versions being like, all right, but not taking advantage of everything that the PC version could do at that time, being one of the best-looking games on PC. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's a big big uh, acquisition for Embracer Group, especially because I think I heard before this they had 124 studios they owned. Mm-hmm. Which is a hell of a lot to own. That is probably bigger than most any other company in the industry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the Square Enix reason that they put out for uh, doing this, as they say, the transaction will assist the company in adapting to the changes underway in the global business environment mm-hmm. by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources. That will enhance corporate value by accelerating growth in the company's core businesses and the digital entertainment domain, which mm. is a nothing statement. It's like, I will be a bit slimmer and uh, be a better company by, you know, having less you know, dead weight of sorts. But then they continue. In addition, the transaction enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields, including blockchain, AI and the cloud. Mm. This comes at an interesting time when NFT, the NFT market is kind of cratering. Mm-hmm. And we do mean cratering. I mean, it lost 7% of their value this week. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's a Twitter account that also catalogs when exchanges and groups for that do NFT stuff get mm-hmm. raided and get a bunch of stuff stolen, uh, money or NFTs or whatever stolen mm-hmm. from them. Because they're easy to do rubes. Mm-hmm. They get swindled a lot, so there you go. So that'll mean Square Enix is largely a Japanese company at this point. They do have a few Western IPs at this point that they're mm-hmm. keeping, like Life is Strange, Outriders, and Just Cause, which are all made by you know outsourced teams. So. Mm-hmm. They don't have to necessarily worry about, you know, paying those teams full time to exist, keep existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can sort of let them work on stuff with other companies, and when they have work for them, they can bring them back in to do work on, you know, the next Life is Strange game or mm-hmm. the next Just Cause or whatever. Uh, so yeah, they're gonna be more of a Japanese company working on Japanese games, which is maybe to their benefit. Mm-hmm. Because constantly making big budget games in with their like Western stuff did not pay off as much as they would have liked. Though they also love to throw those games under the bus. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to prop up other bad decisions they did, even if they did well. Uh, to be like, oh, this this first Tomb Raider game needed to do way better than any Tomb Raider game has ever done. Uh, to prop up all their failing other stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you got anything to say, Dan? Or- it's a pretty strange announcement. Like, as far as like my pulse uh, with the story and the last one, like you know, just going back to Ubisoft real quick, like um, for Prince of Persia, like it it sucks that you know the studio initially uh, in charge of it had to drop it because like that um, that studio was like or that presentation was really all about Ubisoft's uh, global initiatives and seeing it go to Montreal, even though it's a good thing for the game, like. It's sad as far as like the diversity goes. So uh, with, with with what we have here, like we have, you know, Embracer just gobbling up everybody, and like, well, you can go ahead and say that you know, the Prince of Persia move is gonna is gonna be good for that game. I don't even know if if I can say that about any of um these new acquired um, <clears throat> Square Enix studios, like going going to Dynamics for example. I'm someone that loved uh, the Tomb Raider reboot games, and um, aside from the Avengers having pretty crappy life service, I thought it was a pretty solid uh, single-player experience itself. And the thing that these games had in common was they failed to live up to season expectation. Mm-hmm. As, you know, we were pointing on all before, it's like, what exactly were your expectations? Like, um, I know they have, like, a really impressive lineup of IPs, especially when, when, when we're talking about games like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. But it's not mm-hmm. like Dragon Quest goes and it, like, impresses anybody but with its U.S. sales numbers, like that game is far more, um, far more pun Japan, and like not not that many people really give a shit about it here. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I assume that you you would see sort of a wider range of people with the and Tomb Raider, especially in the United States and the U.K. and you know those places. So it's kind of weird. And knowing that the Embracer Group has them, they're like, yeah, we've seen them invest in all these companies, but we've never actually seen them release a banger of their own. Like the best game that has come out, in my opinion, that has like embraced groups upon it are is uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants uh, Battle King Bottom reboot, and you know that's a licensed title, but it's also a reboot. Like as far as I'm concerned, the Embracer Group has only released reboots with like other exceptions being Elex and uh, BioMutant, and those games aren't doing well at all either. So it's tough to really show any excitement about. Uh, acquisitions, uh, even w- even with uh, th- these teams being being good ones, like you know you have Idos Montreal, or, uh, Square Enix Montreal, Idos and Crystal Dynamics, like all of them have done um, amazing titles, but those were also under Square Enix backing. I don't know if the Embracer Group is like enough there. Like you would hope that they go ahead and take a hands off approach with it, but you know it, it's it's tough to really be excited. Um, I remember seeing a job post on LinkedIn for a social media position for uh, Crystal Dynamics, and they're saying, "Oh yeah, we need to hire somebody for the Avengers." And I'm like, "Is that game even going to last for another three months?" So it's tough to say whether you know the Embracer Group actually helps things or not, because again, <clears throat> this was only a three hundred dollar transaction, and while that's not a bit of coin to laugh at, it's not the you know the three billion or sixty nine billion dollars that companies like EA and uh, Microsoft have been willing to shell out in recent years, especially with like, how talented these studios are. Like, um, they're studios, but I, I, I would have believed that $300 million would have been worth more. And then like going back to what uh, Chris said about Square 
is being a more centralized Japanese company. Uh, I think like the three of us can agree that Square Enix is probably better as a Japanese entity, just because like you know their their Japanese RPG portfolio really speaks to those fans, you know, especially mm-hmm. games like Final Fantasy and whatnot. But they've also <clears throat> released some duds as well, like uh, Babylon's Fall. I'm pretty sure nobody that that game did not, you know, um, have any uh, credence into it whatsoever. Uh, granted, the development was done by Platinum, the, the bad Platinum team, but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just uh, tough to see there. And I'm sure, like, you've heard it on other podcasts, or, like, you know, on Twitter and whatnot, but it sounds like Phoenix is also trying to make themselves uh, more uh, valuable to acquire a Japanese company. Like, this selling these off makes it a whole lot easier for a company like PlayStation to go ahead and acquire and that's something that I've been reading on Twitter a whole lot and it makes too much sense at this point where I don't believe it but you know we'll see it's not like these two companies haven't been for the last few years so to know mm. yeah also I think one of the things about the sell off is I mean I'm going to be kind of honest here one of the things about this sell off is and I know we it's been it's almost a meme in the gaming community now the fact that you know Square will put out one of these games and it'll make millions of dollars but they'll still consider it underperforming and you know they ended up selling these for as you said probably less than they're worth and I just. Is there something up with Square Enix and their fire that I should know about? Because they seem to be a little... I don't know how to put it. A little not as tight-fisted with their money as you should be. No, I mean, like, for every like, like a huge game they have, they also have quiet, you know? Um, yeah. They're the, most, they're the most inconsistent uh, big AAA company there is. They're there's there there's going to be a whole bangers. There's going to be a whole bunch of losers, and there's no way to really quantify like how valuable each release is going to be. Uh, I remember being really really excited for Battle in Wonderworld, and you know just last week we talked about how crappy of an experience Eugene Alka had. Mm-hmm. So, weird. Yeah. Yeah. Square Enix is a company that has Final Fantasy fourteen mm-hmm. that props up them to do pretty much anything. They find to be interesting, mm-hmm. uh, which you know leads to them taking a lot of chances. Some of which don't work out, some yeah. which do, uh, but to the degree that they maybe want, especially out of Western developers that they had, uh, which they've you now you know shed themselves of that with IO Interactive and now mm-hmm. these three studios shedding a lot of stuff because they you know. They've tried a lot of things. They've supported those games pretty well for the most mm-hmm. part. You know, had some games that you could put up there as being, you know, well worth, you know, being defining of these studios. You know, Deus Ex: Human Revolution, Mankind Divided, and the the Tomb Raider games. Yeah, I mean, was the was that Guardians? Was that Idos or was that Square Enix Montreal that did that one? I think it was Square mm-hmm. Enix. Yeah. So I mean, like. Each one of these studios have, has has done at least one thing, like totally worth talking about. Yeah, but, but going back to Brandon's point, the financials uh, failed to and 
you know, again, it goes back to saying, like, what exactly are you getting from your market? You know? Yeah. So it's, it's just weird stuff. And, like, at the same time, like, Square Enix is, like, is a total company that's, like, underwater with its fans or, or, or the industry. Like, you know, Forspoken, Fantasy 16, uh, uh, Dragon Quest uh, 13 now, like, really excited for all of them, so. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the thing is, I don't think those games get the pop that, like, a Final Fantasy VII remake does, or a Dragon Quest Eleven, or, you know, even if they were doing another Nier game, as weird as that would be, despite how well Nier Automata did for them. Mm-hmm. It did well enough that they decided to bring back Nier Replicant as a remaster of sorts. It's like, oh, that's those weird-ass games where, like, one reviewer decided he couldn't finish it because of the fishing. Mm. He didn't like the fishing minigame and that stuff. And it's like, okay, they they like a lot of their tried-and-true stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is why they're doing a weird, you know, new Valkyrie profile follow-up mm. as a, a weird thing. You know, they got a new Star Ocean game on the way that looks weird as hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, they're a company that likes to dip into their their back catalog, not at the rate that people want. Because mm-hmm. like we should have those Final Fantasy pixel remasters on the consoles. Mm. There should be Chrono Trigger on the consoles, but all we got is Chrono Cross. Yeah, it's like it's a pretty decent port, but it's nothing to to write home about. But they they like their Japanese stuff more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems, and and it seems like they're divesting themselves of the thing that they just didn't have the the passion for. Because like, if Marvel's Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy couldn't, you know, light things up to mm-hmm. the degree that you know Spider Man does for Sony, you know, what's what's the point of keeping these studios if you have you know, somebody that'll give you a quick three hundred million to mm-hmm. uh, for them and the IPs that probably do. Fine for that, but like back catalog stuff on Steam and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not that they're they're being like super stingy either. I mean, like Square Enix could have just sold these and kept the IP, but they decided to like let, let them have the IP. Like I thought when they got rid of IO Interactive that they totally keep Hitman, but no, they they, they let go with it. So yeah, mm-hmm. well, you know these studios aren't as valuable without the IPs that they created for that stuff. Yeah. It it would be weird to sell off Crystal Dynamics and be like, "All right, you're done making Tomb Raider games." Right after you announced a Tomb Raider game, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, you have to come back to us for that." I'm mean, like, as weird as it is, like, I also you know, don't see that being an impossibility. But you know, um, if, if if I want to sugarcoat it here, like, I, I think it's better that they at least allowed them to be. That, that, that's what I was saying. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh. That's the thing that's like at least the good part of Square Enix when they let these studios go. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, take the IPs because we're not going to do much with them. And that's probably also part of the, the 300 million is acquiring that many IPs out of those coming from coming with those studios. Mm. And that is a company with all of its various studios. They love the IPs because that's where they kind of got their thing of was picking up the vast majority of IPs out of the THQ fire sale uh, back in the day. And so that's where 
they've gotten a lot of stuff that lets them do like, hey, let's do a remaster of that that weird SpongeBob platformer the weirdos on the internet rave about for some reason, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's uh that's the whole Square Enix thing. They're gonna still keep the uh, the few IPs that largely work with outsourced companies, uh, as well as the Square Enix Collective stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Nothing really too much else to go on there. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Square Enix looks like in the in the future here. Mm-hmm. As largely just a Japanese company that occasionally does some Western stuff. Mm. Uh, versus having these three studios that are kind of not living up to what they seem to want out of them mm-hmm. to be on par with their, their Japanese studios that, you know, are making kingdom hearts and final fantasy and dragon quest and that stuff, you mm. know, gets a lot of attention. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but uh, speaking of attention, one of the big cultural topics of the past week is the, uh, the leaked draft of a majority opinion on the Supreme Court to strike down Roe v. Wade that would essentially uh, get rid of the precedent safeguarding access to abortion for all people in the United States. And in the game world, it's largely been a very quiet time. Nobody in the gaming industry or the tech industry has really spoken up except for one company, mm-hmm. and that is Bungie. Yep. I uh, put up a tweet saying, standing up for reproductive choice and liberty is not a difficult decision to make. And Bungie remains dedicated to upholding these values with a link. And it got the uh, the response you would expect from people telling them uh, that, you know, mm-hmm. why don't you stick to games? Quit doing politics stuff and all this. And Square Enix even had their uh, their community person, I assume, was behind a bunch of good replies to these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody managed to collect a, a few of them. Uh, see one person saying, can we just stick to making video games? Bungie replied, never. Mm. As one was deleted, I assume saying something like stick to games and whatnot. Mm. And Bungie replying, and we prefer to use our platform to make the world better for our employees and beyond. Uh, no one here. Literally, this is just sad. You as a gaming company are really going to start choosing a side when you shouldn't even be involved in this bunch of political mm-hmm. BS. As a gaming company, your focus should be how to appease people with your games, not your opinions. Don't. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Bungie said, we've chosen our side and it wasn't difficult. Our company values exist beyond our games. Uh, another one here. Y'all need to stop politics. It's not a business standpoint or a game standpoint. It's relevant to what y'all do. Uh, well, first of all, it's their business and their business games. Yeah. So, fuck you. <laughs> and Bungie replied, it's very relevant to the lives of our employees. We will never stop. I was like, that's yeah. pretty good. Also, there's somebody, uh, let's see, there's one saying, you are a video game company, and replying to what is in their their avatar, saying, you are a toaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and there's somebody that was also complaining. Let me see. I think it's in the, the replies in the Kotaku piece. Saying, I respect your right to stand up for your values. I totally don't agree with you in this case. I'm not here to argue with you, with anyone or you. I, too, can choose how I spend my money. Can I get a refund for all future seasons I've paid for with my season pass? 
And another random person just replies, sorry, buddy, you don't believe in terminating something once it's started. <laughs> that was that that person won the internet. That's yeah. uh that 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 straight up vaporized that dude. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, it's it's not surprising to see all these tech companies not speaking out on this. Mm-hmm. Especially when probably most of them are run by you know men, if not mostly men. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've seen some leaks of uh, various public companies, Coca-Cola and such, that have a PR firm that's basically tell them like, "Hey, don't speak up at this point. Yeah, don't say anything because you're only going to make somebody mad, I guess, and that's only the the coward's way of doing things." But mm. abortion is not a as simple of a topic as you know racism, like with the mm-hmm. the George Floyd protests and such. That was a much easier thing for companies in general to. Uh, you know, put out their tweets and such for supporting it and donations mm-hmm. and all that. This one's a bit tougher, but still, it's nice to see at least one company out there, Bungie, somehow being the one that stands up for abortion rights. Uh, it seems like a, a thing that they've been trying to change of late. Mm-hmm. They definitely had some issues with culture and that kind of stuff uh, for a bit early last gen to like late part of last gen, that kind of stuff. And Mm-hmm. It seems like they put a lot of work into changing their culture and, and being there more for their employees and trying to do right by them. And so much so that I think one of their recent announcements in the past couple of months is that they are going to be a fully remote workforce. Yep. Uh, sort of hiring for any job can be remote, mm-hmm. uh, but it's based on getting all the, the legal stuff uh, situated on the state by state basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have you know, positions open for a number of states mm-hmm. there. So they're definitely making waves and trying out things that not many other companies are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty cool to see. Uh, speaking of companies that are, have been in trouble of late, uh, Activision Blizzard, they have a new yeah. lawsuit on the books here. Uh, new York city. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to see if there's any specific, Department of the government or something here. Uh, let's see. New York City's Employees Retirement System mm-hmm. has filed its lawsuit in the Delaware courts late last month. Mm-hmm. Essentially stipulates that Activision Blizzard should open its books and prove that industry-shaking deal uh, with Microsoft wasn't designed to provide cover for Kodak. Because mm-hmm. uh, they allege that, you know, that their longtime CEO, Bobby Kotick, raced to find a buyer for the mega publisher that he has been leading for about 30 years at this point to mm-hmm. you know, avoid consequences for all of this blind eye he's turned to the widespread instances of harassment at the company, uh, both mm-hmm. Activision and Blizzard, which very much seems like what he's done. Yeah. And with the deal with Microsoft, he will essentially get off largely scot-free. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a golden parachute to soften any, you know, blows he might get out of that. Yep. And this uh, this lawsuit out of New York City is like we need to see more actual proof that this is not what's doing, uh, what they're doing, and how it's affecting their their own bottom line. Because I assume retirement system is a pension fund of sorts. Yeah. Uh, for government officials, I'm assuming. I don't know 100% about that. 
particular group, but yeah, as they say here, uh, with the announced merger, Kodak will be able to escape liability and accountability entirely and will instead continue to serve as an executive after the merger closes, worse despite his potential liability for breaches of fiduciary duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, their board allowed Kodak himself to negotiate the transaction with Microsoft. The board's decision to entrust Kodak with the negotiation process is inexcusable. For additional reasons that Kodak stands to personally receive substantial material benefits, his value is not directly aligned with the merger price. Yeah, he's looking to get uh, quite a bit of money, potentially hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars for being able to. Uh, as soon as the the price gets, you know, the 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 deal goes through, that he would be able to, you know, get the uh, the golden parachute out of the company to go retire, or do something else, whatever mm-hmm. he wants. And so, yeah, it seems like a. a a potentially good suit to dig further into this and have them prove somehow that this wasn't sort of a a rush job Mm -hmm. that would, you know, undermine the potential value that a pension fund would get out of uh, their stock in this sort of Mm -hmm. deal, even for the record amount that it is for, but Mm -hmm. yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's uh. (sighs) <sighs> it just it's it just gets worse and worse. It's like all the shit that they had piling up in their closet all this time. Closet door finally just broke open, and now just all the bad stuff is you know all the bad you know the bad all the dirty laundry and all. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, but as I said before, this is a very slow process, so... Yeah, extremely. It's (laughs) unfortunately not going to resolve in any sort of quick way that you would like. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, maybe there'll be enough suits that Microsoft just has to call it off Mm -hmm. uh, and wait for, you know, Bobby Kotick to actually have to deal with the consequences of his actions. Mm -hmm. Maybe make a new offer. Yeah. Probably even more money. Yeah. But it's Microsoft, the second biggest company in the world, so Mm -hmm. they can afford it. Yeah. If they still want it. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, but uh, let's see. Yeah, Speaking of things we want, actually want, Summer Games Mm -hmm. Fest is coming. Mm -hmm. We know the Microsoft event, I think, is for June 12th, which I believe is a Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the second Sunday of the month, uh, and then the the main events, the Summer Games Fest uh, showcase. Mm-hmm. They've announced Bobby Co- or not Bobby, Jeff Keeley mm-hmm. uh, has announced that that will be happening on Thursday, June 9th. Yep, uh, streaming live anywhere with a, a streaming service mm-hmm. at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. GMT. Mm. Uh, so, pretty good time slot there. I will mm-hmm. have to put in for time off on that day. So, that's, uh, and we'll have to stream that out and talk over it. Yeah. And see what all happens there. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I know of at least one thing that will happen because I think the, uh, the director of Final Fantasy 16 was mentioning that they had just finished their next big trailer. Yep. That seems and like a I thing. I believe that would be they also. This. 
they also said, I think uh, either, I think a couple weeks ago, they said that the game was nearing completion. So, yeah. Yeah, that'd be looking for that game to be releasing, if not this year, then next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, pretty sure we're going to be seeing some Bethesda well. Probably going to see some Starfield. Maybe we'll see some gameplay for finally. Um, but uh, and maybe we'll see Elder Scrolls Six. Maybe it won't just be some mountains and some atmospheric orchestral music. Maybe we'll actually see a dragon or two. Maybe. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what. I assume Microsoft will probably have one or two things there mm-hmm. uh, versus their own show. Yeah. Uh, so what we'll to see sort of what that balance is. I assume you would hold Elder Scrolls for your own show and be like, Perhaps. hey, hey, stay tuned to see see what's in those mountains, what's actually closer to yeah. those mountains. They also mentioned that the Day of the Devs is going to be happening there. Double Find and I Am 8 Bits Indie Focus show mm-hmm. will also be happening there as well. So in case you need to see more cool indie stuff, there you go. Yeah. I'm going to see if they're, they've added anything else to that site. Mm, nope, doesn't look like it. Yeah. Uh, so there's June 9th for the Summer, Summer Game Fest Showcase. They do have a Tribeca Game Spotlight on June 10th. Mm-hmm. That's just some interview stuff, maybe some gameplay stuff here and there. Uh, and the Xbox Plus Bethesda Games Showcase on June 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. That's all that's been announced so far, but I assume we'll have plenty more. It would be nice if they started announcing sooner. Yeah. Yeah, they got a bunch of companies on this partners list that uh, could possibly fit into that that showcase, but mm-hmm. there's definitely some bigger companies here that uh, would be nice if they had uh, their own show, like a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Nintendo on here? No, they're not. Nope. Uh, they're probably going to save all their stuff for, you know, Treehouse. Yeah, they'll do a direct. Mm -hmm. What a direct would be good to have during this kind of thing. They'll they'll just do their own thing. They don't really care. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. EA's on there. Just uh, go ahead. Even if they did a treehouse, like um, normally would they they label it as the three treehouse. So Mm. given that there's no E3, um, and Nintendo hasn't exactly worked with Jeff in any time, but that doesn't mean that uh. He 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 won't. Um, I don't know. Would they label it as like a summer of games uh, or a summer summer game fest uh, direct, or would just would they just normal just just do a regular one? Because normally their their June one is their big one, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there is Devolver, so they'll probably have their own weird show, mm-hmm. uh, pre-scripted thing. So that's probably another one to add on to there. Yeah, there's a lot of Embracer Group stuff in here with, uh, let's see, uh, yeah, Gearbox, Coke Media, Saber Interactive mentioned on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget who else they own here. Uh, I think I'd say for the ones they own. But yeah, there's EA, Activision, and Blizzard are listed separately. Mm-hmm. Capcom, WB, Ubisoft, Sega. Bandai Namco with the old Bandai Namco logo. I don't know if you've seen the new one, where it looks like a dialogue box. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Netflix is on here. Yeah, Epic and Cyanix and Mediatonic are on here, so there's that group. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Inner Sloth for your Among Us mm-hmm. stuff there. So yeah, it's a decent amount of companies here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see what else gets announced for the show. We'll let you all know when that happens. But yeah, for the time being, that is uh, going to be it for the show this week. Thank you to yeah. Ben for joining. Always. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new slate of news and interesting things that have happened. If you enjoy the show, mm-hmm. feel free to let your friends and family know that they should check it out. And even those you hate, they might hate you, but they may like us. And select strangers that will respond positively to whatever you have to say, not just uh, run away screaming. Yeah. And yeah, that is uh, going to do it. We hope you have a good week ahead. I uh, will see you all next time and have a good one.